This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Hey, are you enjoying the light of all these glistening particles and want more? I've set up a Patreon page where you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month and get even more unique and new content. You'll find things like the bi-weekly pie series, which is super new, chat forum, live hangout sessions, even co-hosting opportunities, and more. There are so many rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash glistening particles. Literally every subscription helps. Thank you for supporting my passion and allowing these stories to be shared far and wide. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, I'm talking with Anka Yan, and she has a really amazing story about how she found her way to doing the work that she does, which involves helping corporations understand cultural differences. And this was one of those experiences, and I think you'll hear it as it unfolds, where I'd become more and more enamored with her every step of the way, and I think you will too. So sit back and enjoy. Here's Anka. Hey, listeners. Today, I'm sitting down with Anka Jan, and she has a really cool company that helps bridge the culture gaps between different, you know, different countries and different organizations and help them work better together. And I think it's a great time to be having this conversation in our world. So hello, how are you today? Hi. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm good. We were just talking as we started. Um, There's so much flurry of information going on right now in the U.S. around culture clashes and immigration and things like that. So I think it's a good time to be having these conversations about how we work to get along. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to talk with somebody who's working on the positive end of that and uh, getting people get along. So, hopefully, I know. Yeah, well, yeah. So I it's think a challenge. I bet it is. I mean, there are challenges, but it's it's always moving in the right direction that we want to do, right? Always trying to find ways to find connections and ways to work together in a positive way versus against each other. Absolutely, absolutely. So you yes. were brought to my. Um, my attention by Emmerich. Emmerich was a prior guest. He's also was my coach for a while. And he said the two of us would have a great time talking. And I think he was right, because I have such a natural curiosity about cultures and the world. So I feel pretty lucky to have your brain to pick here today. Is it, are you ready yes. to open it up? Open up your brain. I am. I am. You can pick as much as you want. Oh, oh I'm so happy now. All right. So um, the main thing, like, let's start with explaining to everybody what your business is like what you do because that that'll set the stage for where we're going 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, my company is called Mind Your Culture. And what we do is we partner with global companies to break through cultural barriers so they can be um, more productive, more effective, and more profitable mm-hmm. across the board. And are there any, like, are there specific countries that, or industries that you focus on, or is mm-hmm. it pretty much wide open? It's pretty much wide open. I don't, uh, the industry doesn't matter. The company mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Um, it really is about uh, international companies. So they tend to be rather large companies mm-hmm. okay. or mid-sized companies. And uh, obviously they have usually have an international team or at least two cultures that they need to bridge. Okay. How did you find your way to creating a company that does this specific work? Um, well, I have always, I'm also a very curious person like Uh you are, Uh (laughs) (laughs) and I've always been curious about why people do what they do, Mm -hmm. and with my background of living in different places, uh, different countries and different cultures, and having had my own paradigm shift, um, I... I, I'm able to look through different cultural lenses and understand the uh, perspective on someone else, even though I may not agree with their opinion or what they're saying, what they're thinking, um, but I can look through their lens and can understand that. So I can bridge that gap um, and come closer and come come towards some form of collaboration Mm -hmm. and connection with someone. And I think this is oftentimes missing. Um, The way I came about actually having my own company is, um, well, my background is is psychology. I studied psychology because I was curious about Mm -hmm. why people, they do. (laughs) And I worked in that field for quite some time. And then really more or less by accident, I switched into coaching. Mm Mm-hmm. And By I really accident. like <laughs> I'm an accidental coach. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a few years ago the stars aligned for me to open up my my own business mm-hmm. and um and this is really perfect, perfect niche for me because it brings everything together. My my personal experiences, um, my education, my training, and my curiosity and my passion to bring people together and, and bridge some gaps for us to understand each other better and be able to collaborate better. That makes me so happy just the way that you described that because I think that's what I'm always seeking and I think the podcast is that for me where I found like, all these little skills I was collecting over my life and all these little, mm-hmm. you know, learn this, connected with that person, learn that, learn this technology, always curious about people. So that's been, you know, the the main theme my whole life. But you find mm-hmm. once you find that thing that brings mm-hmm. them all together, it's like a superpower. Do you find do you find <laughs> yes. that yourself? It's like now you have a superpower. Yes, I think it's certainly unique and a special niche and I certainly bring certain skills and and perspective uh, to the table that that are unique yes Yes. so what are some of the things that you commonly see like for example I want to travel in Europe or whatever Mm -hmm. I want to travel everywhere but Europe is next Mm -hmm. on my mind and so I think okay what things do I need to know about Italy Mm -hmm. for example that I don't Mm -hmm. offend people without meaning to so what are some of the <laughs> yeah. things that you commonly see people not understand, like in the in the organizations that you're trying to match up and work together? 
Yeah. Um, well, I think there are two levels. One of the things I always talk about uh, to my clients um, and in general is that um, there are cultural differences that you can easily learn, that they're observable. You can read in the book. You can do a do and don't list um, of things to do and not to do. There are now cultural apps mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Really? So there's there's yeah. apps. Wow. There are apps, yes. <laughs> so you can learn very quickly. You can get some snapshot of a culture and the things to do and not to do. Um, but but what we do at Mind Your Culture is we go deeper. Mm-hmm. We look into the things that are hidden, um, the things that are uh, obviously not seen, but they're they're more personal, more closer to our hearts mm-hmm. and that are not obvious. Mm -hmm. So I always say that culture is very complex and uh, can be very subtle. Mm -hmm. And it's the subtle differences that we address um, with our clients um, because oftentimes people don't recognize certain behaviors and certain judgments and expectations as based in their own culture. So if you don't recognize it's a culture issue, then you make it personal. You think it's a personality issue. So people tend to get reactive to someone. They feel like, oh, uh, they did this intentionally. They're hurting me. They're stabbing me in the back. We feel stepped on our toes very quickly Mm -hmm. uh, across cultures without recognizing that this might be a cultural difference. Mm -hmm. So this is where, uh, where we come in to really bridge those subtle differences, those, those gaps Mm -hmm. and and they can be big gaps, but they can be subtle. And we bring that to your awareness and teach you tools, how to navigate through that. So you're not burning those bridges, bridges, but you build bridges across culture. I mean, teams are more um, effective and much more innovative. Re- research shows that, that teams are more innovative when they're um, very diverse. Mm-hmm. But it has really um, the biggest challenge is for people to really collaborate because they all come from a different point of view and different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not aware of the subtle differences, it creates more problems really mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. And benefits. And it does take it some does. finesse, you know, like I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about examples that I've run across in my own experience and working. And one of them was I was just on a team last year that had some a lot of diversity, you know, it had mm-hmm. men and women, it had different cultures that um, we had a woman from India, we had um, a different ages, all these different, you know, pieces of different people trying to understand and collaborate together we had to be a very tight team like really fast and you know one of it one of the things we all had to do was really like not take offense like just catch ourselves if we were taking offense over something because probably it wasn't true probably people just didn't realize the way that you know that particular phrase hit one person or another and it it was kind of fun to watch it happen we did it pretty organically (laughs) and I yeah uh, like i I was pretty much the always the one going, let's all get along. Let's all figure this out. But but <laughs> yes. even just the language barriers. So the one woman, it was harder for me to understand her, but I wanted mm-hmm. to know what she had to say. And I just held her with such in such a high regard that I mm-hmm. think that she sensed that and it made her really comfortable to keep working at communicating, keep finding a way for us to understand each other, you know? Yes. And yes. That's, that's awesome. 
Yeah. You know, um, and that's the key. Oh, that's really the key is uh, uh, about cultural competence or cultural intelligence or mm -hmm. what I like to call culture agility is to be open and, and find that common ground and just be open and spend more time with the person to really get each other that you're flexible mm -hmm. and not so set in your ways you know that someone else just navigates and behaves differently than you do right. and it's okay we're just different it's not right or wrong I always say it's not right or wrong there is no right, right or wrong in culture it's just different it's actually beautiful. Like if you think of a really huge international buffet, right? Like mm -hmm. the the chocolate, the Swiss chocolate is just as good and as important as the burritos. You know what I mean? It's like, I know those <laughs> yeah. are really lame examples, but my point is that there's not any more or less. It's just they all are special and unique and like trying, mm -hmm. you, you can have that analogy if you need that for your work. <laughs> yes, I might use that, yes. yes. But when you think about it, they're all amazing and we just have to find ways yeah. to understand them. Exactly. And you don't always want to eat chocolate and you don't right. always want to eat a burrito. So well, I always want to eat a burrito company. and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the chocolate. I see. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm a taco addict. I didn't even say taco, but that's yeah. But even um, as I've gotten to know people like internationally, I there's things I've learned just through talking with them really authentically, like um, someone I met from Germany said that there is still some there at the time this was uh, just before you, uh, the German team won the um, the FIFA. Was it two years? Oh, yes. two, two years ago. Four years. Four ago. years ago. Four years. Yeah. Wow, time flies. Um, he said. <laughs> he said what was so monumental for him during mm -hmm. that win is that there's still this shame from the wars that like there yeah. it's carried in the in the people. And I'm I'm of German heritage myself. So for me, I was really saddened to know that that is still carried because I as an American certainly don't look upon that with any bad feelings. You know what I mean? Like I I don't hold any yeah. any any negative energy towards that. And then um another one was um I my mom had a nurse who was from Russia and she the first thing she said when she met our family was I want you to understand that where I grew up we didn't smile. That it was we smiled if um, if we were smiling it meant that we were either call girls like you know uh, streetwalkers <laughs> or we were crazy. So as women yes. we don't smile. So if I she's like I'm trying to change my behavior to adjust and adapt, but I want you to understand that not smiling has nothing to do with my joy of helping. You know what I mean? And so. Like, it was so great that she, because for me, if people don't smile at me, I don't know what to think, because I smile at everybody. So when mm -hmm. I do go to Russia, I will be the crazy woman <laughs> that we know. <laughs> yeah. But it's like those little things, and maybe some of those you can read in a book, but to hear them firsthand and have them be, yes. like, uh, shared is so cool. Yes. Yes. Do you know what happened at Walmart, Walmart in Germany? I don't. What happened? They were there, you know, Walmart and they're all over yes. the world. Um, I didn't know that. In every country. Yeah, but okay. they did not succeed in Germany. They were there for maybe six years or something like that. And it just didn't take hold. Um, I mean, there were several, uh, they lost about probably a billion dollars or wow. more. But the, but the challenge was that they did not look into the cultural difference uh -huh. and one of the things like i said there's several aspects that play into it but one of them was uh, that they required for the um for customer service that people at the register at the register right. when you check out 
that they smile at the customers and it's not done in Germany. People don't. It's wow. like uh, either you're flirting or you are crazy, right? Men mentally challenged. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And that's that's in Germany or in Russia? That is yes, both. Oh. Both they're similar wow. in those way in those um yeah. I think Russia might be a little more extreme, but Germany it's the same. We don't really? say hello to a stranger. We don't really smile at a stranger. It's weird. The very first day I was here in the US uh -huh. that what happened to me, there was a lady coming from the from the street on the opposite she just passed we passed each other and she just looked at me had a big smile and said hi how are you and i just couldn't believe i turned around several times i'm like there's no way i know anyone in this country because <laughs> i just arrived here. right right so but i was very very confused i almost felt like i had to go back and tell her that she made think that she saw someone that she knew oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so, I would never survive I would be locked up for the crazy loony bin like immediately yeah I say hi to everyone I do that all the time but does it okay so does it change this is I don't know if you can answer this but with all the research and that you have a psychology background does it change the general level of life happiness like would you say that um, people who are in a culture where they do say hi and smile a lot more and smile at the cash register and all that kind of stuff are at a higher level of happiness than people who do not? Or is it just what you know? It's just different. It's, it's just different. different. Huh. It's what you're used huh. to. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they're being rude. I mean, for, for some people, it's perceived as rude. And right. I think this is right. the challenge for many Germans that come over here. Um because we are more reserved, we're not mm -hmm. that open and bumply like it tends to be more in the American culture. We're more reserved, we're serious. Um, we don't greet strangers. <laughs> um, and even our language, and language is also um, an expression of culture. It's very, it comes across very harsh. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the language, but also the words that we use and the way we say it, uh, the nonverbal cues, it's all very direct and harsh. Mm -hmm. That's how it's perceived here. But in Germany, it's perfectly normal. That's that's how it is. Right. So it doesn't make you happy or unhappy. It's just what you're used to. It. Right. it can make you unhappy if you go in another culture and you're not used to it, that right. someone is overly bubbly it seems a lot of uh foreigners that come to the u.s their perception is that americans are superficial mm -hmm. because they're also happy and bubbly but then it doesn't really mean anything you think you have a really close relationship or you just built you met a new friend and mm -hmm. it's more meaningful while here it's Okay, you just met someone, you had a nice conversation, but that doesn't mean that you're going to hang out every weekend. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I find that a lot. I talk to lots of people, although I do feel pretty connected to them, and I wish they'd hang out with me every weekend, but it gets creepy, so I try not to try not to push <laughs> that too much. Maybe not that they don't want to, but they can't, yeah. Yeah, and we'll again, go with that. <laughs> again, it's just the difference right. is... Um, you know, that was my perception at the beginning, but I 
I've been here for 22 years and uh, I have a lot of American friends and I know that they're substance. I know they're not superficial, right. but now I like it. I like the fact that people are friendly, that you go to the store and people smile at you and ask mm -hmm. how you are. And um, I, I really like that friendliness. In fact, when I go back to Germany, I kind of be taken back by... Mm -hmm. Now I perceive the Germans as rude right. because mm -hmm. they don't greet me, they don't say hello, they don't smile, and mm -hmm. I'm feeling I'm getting homesick <laughs> <laughs> because no one is um, really helpful and friendly. Right, so, and you get used to that. You get used to it. Yeah, yeah, you get used to it. It's all in a culture. Everything we do and the way we perceive things is within a cultural context. Right. There's this other thing that is perceived that Americans need that is that does not feel sincere. And I learned this from uh, my friend Pablo, who's actually on some of the shows. But he he was uh, he worked for a call center and managed a team of call center people in Argentina that supported mm -hmm. like uh, you know computers for Americans calling in with support. And he said they always had to say, uh, you know, like be sympathetic to the issue. Like what if I would say, oh my hard drive won't boot up. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I know that must be hard. I'm like. I don't want that kind of like, you know, patting on the back. I just want to go fix the hard drive, you know. So there is, let me just set that one aside. We don't want to be coddled. We just want to fix the stuff. So that, I think that's old school. But that was interesting to me. So now every time I call support, if they start being, you know, unrealistically sympathetic, I'm like, yeah, just move on. We're doing yes. the thing. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So what was the most so, uh, interesting thing that you found out that you learned as you were trying to get these cultural um, subtle differences to um, come to light? Um, oh, there are so, so many. Um, I think the one thing that I'm still sort of struggling with is um, the separation. Uh, Germans tend to separate, for example the message versus messenger. So Germans like to, in our culture, we like to debate a lot. We like mm -hmm. to have topics and it can get very political. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, they're serious topics. Um, if it's politics or religion or anything around life that we love to debate and discuss and it can get rather not heated, not yelling at each other, but it, you know, people really express their opinions and, mm -hmm. and state what they think and they counter you and they really want to have a debate. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not meant personally. So this is, we really talking about a topic, but I'm not, the topic is not attached to any individual. And I find this sometimes difficult where I have to hold back when I want to debate and I debate with, um, with people here from the U.S. Um, that it, it's, it tends to be uh, taken personal. If there's mm -hmm. a certain topic that's, that's close to your heart, um, you, you know, it, it's an emotional thing for you. You take it personal. Mm -hmm. So, especially around topics of politics. It's something I love to debate, mm -hmm. but I learn to be careful with that because my intention is not to if offend someone, but just right. discuss it and, and go deeper. Right. So that's, that's somehow I still struggle with that. <laughs> no, I totally hear what you're saying. I get that where, um, yeah, it's hard to separate that. It's hard to separate. Like I find mm -hmm. that especially right now myself, 
with politics that yeah. I don't want to deep dive into. I want to deep dive into the the how to change things, but I don't mm-hmm. want to deep dive into hate and mm-hmm. criticism of the people because mm-hmm. the idea is that we need change. We need to find ways to make things better. But um, for me, getting stuck in this place of like hate towards a specific person and, you know, who I'm, you know, people sometimes have a lot of hate towards specific politicians. I, I just think that um, that's not productive and it Mm -hmm. actually creates more of that, more of that hate. So I try to keep focusing on, you know, these issues like we were talking about with the current immigration uh, Mm -hmm. kids separated at the border from their families. Mm I'm not happy about that at all. Mm. And I'm glad mm-hmm. as of today we they changed the law. They changed I know the executive order went through to change it, but we still have all this like get all these people back together again. I want to mm-hmm. talk about where can I help? Like I want to know yeah. is there a detention center within you know in my state that I can go help? Mm. I can't speak Spanish, but I can be very mm. loving. I can be very kind yeah. and helpful and I can clean things and I can do stuff like that. But like that's the thing that whenever I get in that conversation there definitely is people take it very personally especially if i'm not about attacking someone mm-hmm. if i don't join in the attack then yes then i'm not you know then it's like they take it really personally so yeah yeah, yeah. i can agree well, with although, that one yeah but this topic i think it's going to be even hard for, for us to right. <laughs> not get personal because you know they are kids and right um, you can discuss a, a policy or something like that, but when it's about children taken away from their families, it's not about politics anymore uh, or policies. It's just uh, simply a question of humanity. Right, and like I, I want to make it right as fast as possible. Yeah. Like I want to clean, yes. clean it up and make it right yes. and get everybody back together. Um, and I know that there are people that are working really hard at getting things changed at the, you know, as far as the laws, and I trust them, the people that are out there mm. pushing those yeah. issues hard. I mean, I know some of the groups like Together Rising that are doing amazing things. But um, meanwhile, where I can do my best is trying to find ways to help, you know, mm-hmm. in my direct vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this Absolutely. whole thing is, it's a weird place to be in as an American <laughs> right now. It's a, it's a really weird place to be in for me. Yeah. Yeah, um, the American values are being challenged. Right. Um, and sometimes you have to have these extremes in order to get clear where you stand on what you want. I know. It's definitely changed. Yeah. Like, I always, I would never talk politics. I wouldn't even, it's just one of those mm-hmm. subjects I feel is very personal yep. for me. But mm-hmm. um, now I'm more open to talking with people. But also, it's actually compelling me into taking more action politically that I never mm-hmm. would have imagined that would be something mm-hmm. I would want to do. Like having this conversation out loud that's going to go out in the air <laughs> is a new yeah. space for me too. Yeah. Well, actually, it's so funny. In my trainings, when I do cultural trainings, and it's between Americans and Germans, um, I always tell um, my German counterparts, I say, okay, there, there's some topics are just off the table, and that's... Um, politics religion and sex uh-huh. and usually the germans react and say well what else is there to talk about <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um i get that <laughs> <laughs> we like to uh, go deeper and talk about real issues and um but yeah it's not always appropriate 
Well, and it depends. Yeah. I, now, religion, I'll talk with talk about pretty much all day long. I mean, I, that's when I like to debate because I found my own crossroads of like what I was following isn't quite lining up for me right now. So I think that's a that's a good one to explore and learn. But the politics is just hard to even understand. It's hard to understand yeah. how this happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how many people do you have at your company? Um, I have about five other consultants mm -hmm. uh, that work with me um, on depending on what projects um, that come to us. Mm -hmm. So it depends. Yeah. Okay. But I have other five consultants with their own specialties and uh, do similar things. And depending on the project, we mm -hmm. work together on that. Yes. Is there like a dream project for you? Uh, a dream project. Yes, I would love to take a group of global leaders that know that there is some room for them to learn about culture agility and they're willing to take a journey over a period of time, let's say three months to meet every week and really work on, on several issues uh, or or several topics for them to bridge that gap and really learn from each other. Mm -hmm. um, companies tend to uh, want a cultural training, um, and it's kind of checking off the box that they've done some culture training. But uh, that's basically just giving information. It's mm -hmm. not really any transformation. <clears throat> doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen during one event or or two days event. It it happens over time, mm -hmm. and um, it is good to have a coach that will guide you and and uh, give you some insight and more or less hold your hand along the way and show mm -hmm. you the direction you need to go and challenge you and challenge your own ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, that is important. This is when really transformation happens. This is when change happens. It doesn't happen through just knowledge. We all know how to lose weight. We all know we need to exercise and right. eat less. Right. But mm -hmm. <laughs> knowledge, having the knowledge is one thing, but actually implementing it is another thing. And that is where I really like to go deeper into more on more projects like that versus just training. That sounds really, really exciting. And it, it actually can change lives. And, you know, a lot of companies think uh, it's a soft skill. Um, everyone talks about that uh, cultural intelligence is a soft skill, but it's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. The only way you can really yeah. do it is by having those conversations. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and like for me, it was tripping up on myself sometimes and realizing, oh, mm -hmm. that thing I just said offended mm -hmm. somebody or... <laughs> Um, that didn't come across the way that I meant it to. Like I just did some interviews with um, a couple of people for Pride Month for a project, and mm -hmm. they were sharing kind of their stories, one uh, as a lesbian, one as a parent of a transgender child. And in both of those interviews, uh, I basically tripped over myself at least twice, maybe three times, because I'm trying to you know be sensitive and use the right words. But I didn't want to read the book and just go, mm. okay, I can regurgitate the book. I wanted to be in the conversation and I wanted to hear yes. firsthand the experiences. And it was, I am a better person after that hour spent with each of them. And so now everybody else that I encounter is getting a better mm. version of me. And that's how people should look at those connections. 
Yes, and it does trickle down and it does reach the bottom line when you mm -hmm. talk with organizations. Uh, yes, it is considered a soft skill, but it has a huge impact on mm -hmm. your finances. We see a lot of high turnover in companies. I've seen uh, a team of five leaving their German boss all on the same day just to stuff it wow. to the individual. Um, I, I've seen sabotage. Um, I mean, it's I've seen lawsuits um, because right. the way people treat each other. Um, and that it's based in cultural context. And if you don't have the sensitivity that it's just done differently somewhere else, it can really create problems mm -hmm. and they can be very costly. Right. They can be very costly. Yes, if you have the awareness, you can really spread the love and awareness. And um, But for companies, I think it's important for them to see that it does have a financial impact. And that's oftentimes lost. Mm -hmm. They think it's a soft skill and um, let's just all get along, that kind of thing. Um, if people don't get each other, if they cannot collaborate, if they mm -hmm. cannot communicate effectively, mm -hmm. uh, it will suffer in the business. It can be very costly. Well, and absolutely. And, you know, you keep referencing like large companies, but in reality today with the way the world is, even small companies have a global have global connections and global teams. Like yeah. I'm working, yes. my um, social media person is from Canada. <laughs> the person who did all my branding was from Serbia. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like uh, I'm trying to do the right thing and trying to uh, communicate authentically and without offending uh, with no mm -hmm. experience. So I'm just like, hopefully my charm works on this because um, I don't know if I'm saying the right things. And I'm doing yeah. that every day in the podcast because it's 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 listened mm -hmm. to around the world. There's guests from around the world. So, you know, on even a small scale, I could do something that really offends a whole collection of people and not realize it and that I don't want to do that. So I want to yeah. learn these skills even on a small scale. So it's not always mm -hmm. just the large corporations. Sure, sure. And a point to to that, what you, what you just said is uh, a point that I wanted to make is uh, – we're, we have many more things in common that are different yeah. and yeah. we do connect on our human level and you have to stay authentic and true to yourself. So cultural intelligence or cultural agility doesn't mean that you have to change who you are. You don't have to tiptoe around uh, other people and be super careful and worried that you're going to offend someone. You have to be yourself. What cultural agility means is that you are aware you're more sensitive toward someone doing things differently mm -hmm. or perceive things a little different than you are. And once you're aware of it, you can clarify it. There's a lot of clarifying across cultures because mm -hmm. what, what did you really mean by that? Because I understood it this way or that's my perception or we do it this way, but you guys do it this way. Mm -hmm. It's all mm -hmm. about awareness and being open to differentness, just to, to do things different. But my point is we're all the same. We all want the same thing. We're right. all human beings and we have much more in common that and, then they are different. It's just the small little differences that can trip you up, right. trip us up, right. and be costly. Um, but yes, my point is we have much more things in common. So I, I don't want to scare anyone. No, I don't. No, I think I totally agree, yeah. and I love that you brought that out because it is the truth. We are, you know, as humans, as caring people, as evolved people, as intellectual humans, we have so much in common. But yeah, if we 
Like there, for example, there are a couple words that some people use sometimes that are, you know, I wouldn't use them on the show because uh, it's PG-13, <laughs> but there are a couple words that when those words are used, it trips mm-hmm. every flag in me. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a cultural thing or if that's being a woman thing, but if someone just used those words in their everyday language and they didn't realize that some people might be offended by that, um, mm-hmm. that would be that would create an issue in a meeting room. Like, uh, for example, oh, talk about tech support. I was on a call with, uh, no, I didn't, it wasn't tech support, a uh, telemarketer was trying to get me to do, to buy something, right? And as I yeah. was like being very boundary specific, saying, nope, this isn't something I want. I'm going to go now. I don't, you know, I don't want to be on this call anymore. He started calling me honey. And <laughs> every single flag in me wanted to like get his name and have him fired <laughs> because <laughs> it was really offensive to me. Not that I don't like to be called that by people that, you know, in an endearing way by someone in my circle, in sure. the right circumstances, but I sure don't want some random person thinking that that's okay to call me that. And I think that maybe in their culture, that was okay, and they didn't realize yeah. it. But that was immediately an absolute, like, the call is done. <laughs> the call is over. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how emotional it gets? Something it small yeah. like that gets very emotional and you you are aware enough that it may have been a cultural difference. It may not have been. He right. might just been his personality. Right. We don't know. Right. Um, right. But it gets very emotional if we get triggered like that. Right. Uh, it, it, it offends our values. It offends our standards. And we take right. it personal. Yeah. yeah, I was really surprised at how much that offended me because usually mm-hmm. I'm pretty easygoing, but that one just, it, it <laughs> definitely hit the button. And then I said, yeah. I explained like it it is not okay for you to call me that. <laughs> and then I did it again. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna hang off the phone because <laughs> this is not how that's yeah. gonna go down. But yeah, it's yeah. uh it's amazing. That I was surprised now that I did have an example like that where it really tripped my trigger. Yeah. Um, that was one. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone came into a meeting room at my office and started calling me that, yeah, that would be a bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> We would not be able to see eye to eye at all. <laughs> and I'm lucky because I live, or not, I live, I work for a company, a large company that mm-hmm. is um, recognized for its integrity and for its diversity and for um, just basically the humanitarian work that they do and the way that they treat people. So I'm mm-hmm. so used to working in that environment. You know, yeah. if I were to walk into a, a company where that wasn't the norm, I wouldn't know how to react. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to be treating being treated with respect and all that that I don't know how I would handle it. You know, like walking into <laughs> a company that's traditionally where it's not quite that way, I would be really lost. <laughs> so um, we know what your dream project is. We've got that outlined. What is uh, What else do you do um, when you're not working on these kind of cultural bridges what do you do in your spare time and for fun um well right now i'm all into the soccer games because the Uh, world cups are just happening right now um uh and one long-term project that i want to do on my personal side is actually write a book there's so many people that have told me most of my life that I need to write a book. Um, and it seems like a big project, but I need to um, 
take one bite at a time, as, mm. as you like to say here in the US. Right. <laughs> like that. I like that phrase. Um, so that is one of the things that I, I'm sort of working or start to work on right what, now. What do you want to write about? Um, I wanted to write about my journey, and that kind of goes along with also what I do for work. I have a unique experience in that I grew up in East Germany. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up under communism and I left East Germany when I was 18. And I had a really hard time in West Germany. My first two years were really, really difficult. Uh, simply because, I mean, you would think we speak the same language. It's yes, it's a separate country country but only due to political issues um, but we speak the same language really have very similar food and all of that but I really had a hard time understanding people where they came from and it really baffled me and I was really lost and got depressed and I uh, was not in a good space um, and I learned in the two years that I had to I had to make adjustments. I learned that in that particular part of the world, I'm the one that's different. Mm -hmm. And I had to adjust and I had to learn um, their way of life. And it really was like a paradigm shift that I had to make in order to survive in another society. Um, and I think this really set me on my path to what I do now. Um, I was always hungry to explore the world and I went as a pair to England. I lived with an American family there mm -hmm. and I lived in several places here in the U.S. So I get a lot of people ask me if, if I didn't have a culture shock or how big my culture shock was when I came to the U.S. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, there was some of that, but the biggest culture shock I really had was from East to West Germany. Um, so that was a big, big change for me. And what was so significant, I guess, the big lesson is that it was so close, mm -hmm. you know, we were so close. Um, but it was so different. Yeah, and, that's shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have, well, plus mm -hmm. I would have guessed that you would have been almost like American, like happy and smiling all the time after getting out of <laughs> East Germany, you know, because, oh my gosh, yes. I'm out of the oppression and the communism. But yeah, yes. that's really amazing. And it goes to show, like, we know what we know. We, The mm -hmm. way we grow up, we don't necessarily analyze that it's so different or bad or whatever until we see something different we yes don't know. and the thing is we wanted the change i mean we took the initiative to leave so right. we wanted to change we were welcoming it um but then once you were in there it was just it wasn't like in the movies right. <laughs> it wasn't like on tv like yeah we're good it was like wait <laughs> where am i <laughs> So who did you yeah. go with? How did you like? How did you get out by your? Were you by yourself or with family? Uh, actually, with my best friend. Okay. Uh, her name is Hopi. Uh, still my best friend. Uh -huh. We grew up together in school, and uh, we we're inseparable. But we were eighteen years old, and we. This was the summer of eighty nine. There was. Um, they actually called it the refugee wave, where okay. there were a lot of people from East Germany. Uh, they escaped through Hungary, uh, from Hungary to Austria. 
And um, for us, it was the moment we thought now or never, we're going to take that chance. And we have a a chance for freedom and we're going to take it. And we went to Hungary and that's during that summer. And um, it took us several weeks um, to get through that. But we actually found someone that would smuggle us over the border. Uh, we didn't go to Austria. We actually went to Greece and okay. uh, went to the West German embassy there. Um, and yes, and they helped us. They really took us under their wings and, uh, flew us to West Germany and um, we got well taken care of. Um, that's why I think part of the discussion we talked earlier today about the immigration issue at the southern border here in the U.S. is is it touches me in a very in a very specific way. That's mm -hmm. that's hard for me because I have been a refugee and I know what it's like when you mm -hmm. come to a border and you have nothing and you truly depend on someone else's help. And mm -hmm. I have to say, we, we got all the help. We really did. Uh, we got food and shelter and um, support, finding jobs, all of this. We got all of that. Mm -hmm. um, although what, what we didn't get, and I guess no one knew was the cultural differences mm -hmm. that really impacted in how how we navigate things and how you are, how you present yourself in the world and how you deal with things. So that was the challenge. When you um, immigrated over to West Germany, how many people that summer, like you said, there was a big wave. Was it mm -hmm. thousands or hundred thousands? Um, I don't have specific numbers. There certainly were thousands of mm -hmm. people. Um, we left in the middle of August, and that was actually the beginning, which we thought we were at the end of, of oh. the refugee wave, but we were actually at the beginning. So once we left, once we were in West Germany, we were watching the news. We were glued to the TV every day because there were hundreds and thousands of people coming through all the time. Um, so I don't have a specific number, mm -hmm. but there were certainly thousands of people uh, that would come across and every single one had a different story. I was really quite incredible to hear all these different stories. And, um, yeah. So I'm going to sound kind of ignorant here, but I do that a no, lot on the okay. show. Um, so okay. <laughs> if you would have gotten caught trying to leave, what would yes. have happened? Oh, uh, well, we're certainly would have been put in jail. Mm -hmm. Um, we could have been killed, uh, depending on the situation, what mm -hmm. people would do right then and there. Uh, but I guess the best thing that could have happened would be to be arrested mm -hmm. and be sent to East Germany. And there we had special prison, prisons for political uh, issues. So it's different if you would commit a crime. Mm -hmm. um, you could kill someone. <laughs> uh, but if you would escape and betray the country and the regime, there was a special prison for that. When so you that say special, you don't necessarily mean special good. You mean special no. not good. Yes. Yeah. Special not good. Ugh. And people, I mean, sometimes, you know, people disappear. They, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them actually got bought from West Germany. Uh, the government bought people from prison to get them free. Um, so... But we, we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know. No one I was certainly not uh, in our newscast right. <laughs> what, what would happen to people that end up in that special prison. So we wouldn't know. 
Do you, did you leave family behind? Yes, my whole family. Um, and you couldn't even talk to them about it because for their own safety, mm -hmm. um, we did not share, nor did we have a plan, by the way. We did not know how we going to do this. It was just an instinctive feeling that was so, so strong within me that I just knew. I just knew we we're going to make it over to the other side. Um, so we didn't have a plan. We were just hitchhiking down uh, to Hungary because we heard people are leaving from Hungary. Mm -hmm. And because we were hitchhiking, uh, we met truck drivers um, that could tell us something about the customs and the borders. Mm -hmm. And there was this one particular gentleman, uh, he was from, from Greece, and he was um, telling us that the borders are not as tight going down through Yugoslavia, mm -hmm. what was back then Yugoslavia down to Greece, versus Hungary to um Austria. Mm -hmm. And people were still killed at the border. Um, you know, some obviously made it and had no problems, but there were still uh, security was tight and people were still killed by doing that. So we thought this is it's a further way, but it's maybe the risk are not quite as high because they don't expect mm -hmm. refugees on that border. Mm -hmm. So we ended up taking that round route. Who was killing people at the border? The East Germans or the the um, the other countries? The Hungarians, okay. yeah. I mean, in uh, at the border from Hungary to Austria, there was obviously would be the Hungarian mm -hmm. army um, that that would be there and secure their borders. Mm -hmm. Yes, but if you're in East Germany and you want to leave, then. <laughs> It would be the East Germans. Right. Okay. Now, I I, that's what I thought. I just was like, yeah. yeah, when, yeah. Uh, again, I'm always uh, more than willing to show my ignorance as I'm asking questions because I've, but you, like, I can't even okay. imagine being 18 and going, I'm going to leave my family. Like, did you, was it hard? Did, did you premeditate it? Like, how, how, like, from when you decided you're going to do it to when you left, was it like months or days? Um, I think it was days. It was just, it was that wave. There was literally that energy. I mean, a lot of things happen very fast. Mm -hmm. And I, I come from Leipzig is where actually the revolution uh, happened. And that started at a church where people mm -hmm. started to demonstrate. And actually, my dad was part of the demonstration that very early on, mm -hmm. uh, people didn't even know about it. it was a silent demonstration, they were just five people standing around after a, a service. And that escalated really fast over a few weeks and months where literally 1000s of people would be marching down the street. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very dangerous because they had their sharpshooters uh, mm -hmm. on the roofs and army was ready. I mean, they came in from everywhere and they mm -hmm. were ready. They were mm -hmm. ready. Now, at that point, I was already in um, West Germany. But I remember my, when, my, when I still lived in Leipzig and my dad would go to these demonstrations, I really wanted to go with him, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't let me. He said, no, this is too dangerous. I'm not going to take you with me. But my point is there was this wave. There was this energy. There was this. Uh, like eminent. This it was eminent. Like, yeah, yeah, something is moving. Something is changing. People are not taking things anymore. And 
the number one, my number one here really is uh, Gorbachev because he's the one that stopped the bloodbath. Mm. Um, he's the one that kind of stopped our government um, from really um, starting the war, I guess. Mm. Um, so I think with Gorbachev being in power and making some changes within his own country mm -hmm. and our government not knowing what to do with that, right. they certainly didn't want to follow the lead, but they didn't know what to do with that. So there was all this uproar, this un uh, uncertainty Unrest, yeah. and yes what's happening and there was just like a little window open where people could push through and that happened on different fronts if it was through the demonstrations or mm -hmm. people escaping uh it was just you could feel it you could feel that something is 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 happening something is moving Although at the same time, I have to say, no one had a clue that this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. The wall came down. It was really more or less an accident. But uh, when it happened, it was just a shock to everybody, right. especially for the people in Germany, in East Germany. Oh, yeah. I bet. Uh, <laughs> so you are in contact with your family since then, though, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, of good. course. Of course. Yes. Yes. And everybody's yes. okay? Yes. Nobody yes. went to special it's prison or anything? <laughs> no, <Okay>. no. <laughs> my sister, actually, my sister, she was working in the court system. Um, and once I was gone, they restricted the cases she was able, she was allowed to work on. Mm. But that was the only repercussion my family had. Mm. Uh, that was my sister. With her work, she was limited. Okay. Um, but again, that was just a matter of a couple months, a few months, three months. Interesting. Wow, yeah. you're just so brave, you know. Like well, I always say I was very naive. We were very <laughs> naive, which which helped. Right. Uh, you need right. to have some sense of naivete yeah. <laughs> to do something like that, um, because it was very risky. Mm -hmm. It was very risky, yeah. And you couldn't look back. You couldn't. We didn't ask ourselves the question: What about our family? What about this? What about this? Because. You just didn't want to think in those terms. It was now or never. Take this chance and let's go. Did you ask any of your family members to go too? No. <laughs> no. No, you couldn't. You couldn't. Oh, uh, first right, of all, right. you probably wouldn't. And that was a conversation you wouldn't have with anybody. Did they, uh -huh. um, were they worried? I mean, did they know you were doing that once you went? Uh, no, they didn't know. All they knew is that we were going on vacation or we students at the time and uh -huh. we were taking our tent and going down to Hungary and we were gone for three weeks. Um, and then I was able to call my mom and all I said is, mom, I'm, I'm in Gießen, which is a town in West Germany. Mm -hmm. And that was known for the refugee camp. Okay. And when I said I'm in Gies, and she just broke down, she knew exactly right, right. that I was over on the other side. But she didn't know that that was something that we wanted to do. And uh -huh. of course, she was worried about our lives and not being able to help you help right. us. It was really like a death. We thought we never see each other again ever. Right. Wow. And then three months later, the wall came down. It was just incredible. It was just incredible. And then there was an amnesty for uh, refugees uh, over Christmas. 
Mm-hmm. So we left in August. The wall came down in November and December over Christmas. We rolled into East Germany. We rolled into East Germany in the train and we and we were reunited for Christmas with our oh, family and friends. It was that's just, incredible. That's like better yeah. than a movie. <laughs> yes. You know? It was really truly incredible. And it was really cool to see that. And this is where I realized that there were so many more people after us that there were some friends that also left, but I didn't know. And they all came back, you know, for Christmas because of the amnesty. Wow. That's that's such a beautiful story. You definitely need to write a book. (laughs) Hands down. You need to do that. So many people over the years said, Angie, you need to write it down. You need to write a book. Well, you know, uh, it's one of those things that sounds really daunting and hard. But uh, my little tip to you on book writing, of, of which I have no experience, but just my, my own like writing is whenever mm-hmm. like part of the story comes to you in a, in a wave, like you can just see it so clearly, just write that down and just start doing bits of that. And pretty soon, yeah. it, like, because I always thought, oh, you, if you're going to write a book, you have to sit down and write chapter one and then <laughs> chapter two, and you have to know the whole thing. But just mm-hmm. collecting all the pieces, like I have one that I'm working on that's got all these little pieces they're all kind of like collecting if you look at some of these writers you know more modern day like um uh oh gosh i'm gonna totally biff this who wrote harry potter i know oh I can, yeah i don't know her name she, i know yes. i totally know I, that. I see her face i know I me see too. Her face. <laughs> google it somebody tell me uh, but anyway you look at her history of how she wrote the books she was just collecting bits and pieces and bits and pieces and then it all came together so oh my gosh I don't know I might have to edit that out because I'm so embarrassed because I just had Harry Potter fans on like three weeks ago so oh. Oh. what is her name <gasps> okay it'll come to me after we're done well I wanted to make sure people know where they can find you if they want to talk with you more or hire you for their company or whatever it is because uh, I think you just have such a great energy and story I'm sure people will want to touch base so where can sure. they find you? Yes. Um, well, I have a website. It's uh, www.mindyourculture.com. And I my email address is Anke, A-N-K-E, my first name, at mindyourculture.com. All right. That's so a great name, by the way. Great business name. I like thank that. you. Yeah. Thank you. It's interesting to see some people go, huh? And some people, oh, I love it. <laughs> I do. I love it. I love it. But I like weird, you know, names, glistening particles. <laughs> Who thinks of that, right? Yes. Well, I'm so glad Emmerich connected us because it's been just a pleasure to hear your story and just all the little little paths we went down. It's been really, really fun. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks very much for talking to me. And you made it very easy for me. So I appreciate it. Oh, good. I try. I try not to be the special (laughs) podcast, you know. (laughs) All right. Well, take care. And I'm sure we'll be connecting again at some point here. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Sometimes when I look at how simple my life is, you know, I haven't had to escape from any country. I haven't had to take my children somewhere to safety and experience the things that so many people in our world today are experiencing. I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky and blessed. But that same energy is what motivates me to do more of this to help people understand each other and hear the stories and the experiences of people firsthand. 
So I really am grateful to Anka for sharing that with me. It also makes me realize how important it will be when I do start traveling the world a little bit more, but even now as I'm talking with people around the world, that I spend more time understanding the cultural differences and respecting them. And so if you've had any experiences like this you'd like to share, please um, post them out in the website and we would love to hear them. Thanks everyone. Until next time. So are you following your passion, inspiring people and willing to share your story? Then find me because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining.